0: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
1: He illumines our understanding. He enables us to make sense of our existence, of our world. The Christian approaches his or her world in an unsecular manner. She looks to God for understanding by faith. Her standards, his standards are God's standards. He knows that all answers are found in God, that God knows the answer to everything, and so therefore, God is his or her starting point. This is a God-centered worldview. I can
0: see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Hello and welcome to the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so grateful that you've joined us today for the broadcast, and as we always do, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. So if you have your Bibles, please return with us again today to the book of Romans, chapter 1. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
1: Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for this day. We thank you for all that we have. We thank you, Lord, for the book of Romans and what this study means for us and to us. And we thank you, Lord, uh, for the chance to have God's truth resonate in our souls to help us make sense of our existence and and to be changed by it from the inside out. Lord, help us to be full of grace and truth as we look into this passage today, that we as believers may speak the truth in love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, as you recall, we are now going into the fourth week of a study of the book of Romans. The first week we began with a portrait of the man of faith, the Apostle Paul, who was a model for us because he had a calling, he had a mission, he had a message. And we want to be like Paul and to take the gospel to whoever will listen to it. And then the week after that, we looked at Romans one sixteen and 17, which is the theme or the heart of the gospel and it is the heart of the book of Romans, and it really has to, what we really talked about is what it means to embrace the gospel, not just for salvation, which is a wonderful thing, but in life. You know, we saw that Paul was not ashamed; he revealed the gospel rather than conceal it. You know, he told people about it, no matter who they were or where they came from. And then last week we looked at a portrait of unbelief. We did a, an overview of Romans one eighteen to thirty two. And we saw how people who ignore God, people who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, people who ignore the evidence of God, get further and further away from God. And there we talked about the wrath of God or the displeasure of God. There's the consequential wrath. That's when we do things that we know are wrong, like running with scissors in our hands or abusing drugs or driving on the freeway with our eyes closed or... uh, Anything like that, there's a cause and effect relationship between our life and what we know is wrong. We also talked about the uh, wrath of abandonment, where eventually people who don't want God, God lets go of them, God gives them their way, and they really kind of go into a downward spiral, and we watch that work through the text. And within that text is one of the most controversial passages in the 21st century in scripture, and that is the passage that deals with homosexuality. We did not really deal, we dealt with sin in general and society in general and individuals in general who, who, who forget God, who deny God, who suppress what is true last week. But as I told you, because of, the, of how relevant this topic is, we would come back today and focus on homosexuality. And so that's what we're doing. Today's message is entitled, Homosexuality, a Complex Age-Old Issue for the Christ Follower. Because homosexuality has existed in all the related behaviors, has existed in every culture throughout history. It's nothing new. There is nothing new under the sun. And so today we come to one of the more complex and vexing topics of our time, what we call homosexuality, or what's now labeled LGBTQ issues, and uh And, you know, often it's unfortunate that both sides approach this topic, this discussion, polemically, kind of with their guard up and ready to roll. And often both sides uh, attempt to demonize and marginalize the other. And just as often, uh, you know, we see the attempt to impose an ideology on people. You know, on one hand, people say they want to be left alone. and On the other hand, they want to be left alone, but they don't want to leave you alone. And sometimes that's with the Christians and often it's with the culture. And often, particularly in the last 20 years, you'll see one side oversimplify or produce a caricature of the other side and then attempt to blow up that straw man. Well, this is not our aim today, nor should it ever be. Today is a very important topic. It's one, frankly, that is personal for me. Uh, t- you know, Terry and I have a number of gay friends uh, still in the lifestyle. We have a number of people who are homosexual friends who are out of the lifestyle because they've embraced Christ. And, uh, you know, as many of you know, I have my my older brother, my big brother, who's passed away, was gay. And with that said, I just want to give you and share with you some of my experiences because a lot of times people like to assume that the Christian worldview is sort of a naive kind of country bumpkin, uh, uninformed worldview. And I'm going to share some things with you about myself that you may find shocking or alarming, uh, but just know that this is this is me. This is where I came from before I was a Christian, you know. And so, uh, over the years, with my brother, prior to my conversion, where he went, I went. Uh, he was my brother. I loved him. If he were still alive, I would still love him. But uh, you know, I uncritically accepted his lifestyle. I wanted to be supportive. It seemed like the right thing to do, and I did. So I've gone to gay bars, I've gone to gay parties, I spent one New Year's Eve in a gay bar, and it's a lot different than spending it in other places, I will just tell you. Uh, I've spoken with and interacted with trans and gay people before it was such a big issue. I've seen drag queens in their shows, that's how they refer to themselves. And like I said, I've had more than a few personal friends who were and who are today, this day, homosexuals. And I've known people in that community who have suffered incredible hardship uh, they've committed suicide, uh, one through self-immolation, because he believed he was no longer young and attractive, but old and unattractive, and he had, and in his mind, he had nowhere to go but down. Uh, that's one of the pitfalls of the lifestyle, is that there's sort of a, in some cases, not all, sort of a young and beautiful kind of dynamic there. My brother, my brother was born July 11th, 1955. He died uh, my September 11th, 1992. He died of AIDS-related conditions, which means, you know, AIDS doesn't kill you itself. It's the diseases that follow. AIDS is Acquired Immune Deficiency Syndrome. It wipes out your immune system, and then you'll you'll get opportunistic diseases as your T count falls, and a cold will kill you, theoretically. And when he died, he had three types of pneumonia, two types of tuberculosis, and a rapidly growing tumor between his heart and lung that was inoperable. He was in chemo seven days a week, and it was rough. When he died, he was, you know, as I've told you before, I tend to be the smallest male in my family. My brother was taller than me, but when he died, he was close to six 80 pounds. And so it was a long, it was a three-year process. And uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult thing for me. It's a personal matter for me. It's a matter that's important, and I have studied it all of my adult life. My brother was my roommate for two summers. He and his friends and I ate dinner together, went to movies together, went to the beach together, talked about all kinds of things together, uh, laughed together, cried together. So as I speak to you today, I I speak to you not not as a, you know, the culture wants to demonize people like me sometimes and call us a gay basher or whatever. I'm not some country bumpkin who hasn't been to the rodeo. I've seen both sides of the equations and I've and I and I just come to you as a person who sees gays and lesbians or the LGBTQ or whatever initials we come up with in the days and weeks and months and years to come as people created in the image and likeness of God people who are creative intelligent who can, who can be very very loving uh and who are in a tough spot and sometimes when they're in a tough spot they make the spot tougher for people of faith as well And bottom line, I believe what the Bible says. The Bible says that all people everywhere were created in the image and likeness of God. In Genesis 126 and 127, we read this. God said, let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness. And then it goes on to say in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. This is a summary statement of the Creator about the pinnacle of His creation, humankind, and also about His intention and design for the human race. Now, as for me, going back to me, I became a Christian around the age of 30. I entered seminary at 40. And as I, and as, as I look back at my brother's life and death and the, fri- and the deaths of some of my friends and the lives of some of my friends, I have studied this matter intensely, I'm almost 60, and I can tell you I've studied this for about 30 years intently, and I never stopped studying it because it's an important issue. I've spent all my life looking into this issue, reading all kinds of stories, research, talking with members of the community on both sides of the equation, and weighing the claims and the assumptions of what I hear and read in the scales of Scripture. And so today what I'm going to do is break down today's message, our talk today, into two segments. The first big chunk will be for the Christ follower, the Christian, and the second small chunk will be for the unbeliever, the secularist, the non-Christ follower. Within those two big chunks, to make it really confusing, I'm just kidding, are going to be six basic points which are in your sermon notes. Six considerations, six things we need to think about as we think about this issue. And so with that, I'd like to get into the discussion and I'd like just to work our way carefully across this matter. This is a complex matter. It cannot be addressed in one sermon. But I'm here not to preach a sermon on homosexuality. I'm preaching a series on the book of Romans, right? And this topic came up in the first chapter. And so here we are today addressing that. So let's undertake consideration number one. In this discussion, and this controversial issue, there are two starting points. The, that of the Christian and that of the secularist, the Christ follower and the secular, the theistic point of view and the atheistic point of view. And so I want to start with the Christ follower. And in anything that a Christian does, he sort of begins with a Proverbs 3, 5 through 8 mindset. And what does that mean exactly? Well, with a theistic bit, you trust in the Lord with all your heart. You do not lean on your own understanding In all your ways you acknowledge him And he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh. And refreshment to your bones. God's word. God helps us to understand things. When we put our trust in him. He illumines our understanding. He enables us to make sense of our existence. Of our world. The Christian approaches his or her world. In an unsecular manner. She looks to God for Understanding by faith, her standards, his standards are God's standards. He knows that all answers are found in God; that God knows the answer to everything, and so therefore God is his or her starting point. This is a God-centered worldview. The Christ follower below, but knows and believes that God made all that is. He understands it exhaustively. He designed it. He purposed it, and we need to learn His purposes so that we can harmonize our thinking and our lives with his will. He knows how things function, how how they are designed, how they're supposed to work. And his knowledge isn't theoretical. It's it's exhaustive. And that's why we look to God's word. When you think about God, I think Proverbs 34 through 6 reminds us of the scope and the majesty and the grandeur of God's understanding. What does it say in Proverbs 34? 4 through 6, it talks about God and it talks about His Word. And it says this Who has ascended to heaven and come down? No man has done that. No woman has done that. Who has gathered the wind in His fist? Who has wrapped the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is His name? And what is His Son's name? Kind of an Old Testament allusion to Christ. Surely you know, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. There's a, there's a word of encouragement. There are words of comfort and consolation and words of warning. God sees what we don't see because he knows what we don't know. He's the designer and creator of all that was, all that is, and all that ever will be. His wisdom is not theory, but concrete fact, objective truth. And he loves all of his creatures. He is a, he is a refuge. He's a shelter to those who seek refuge in him. And as we think about this, we know that he he expresses himself reliably. He is God, the ultimate, the uber communicator. And if we listen, we'll learn from him. Now, I'm reminded that the philosopher says, all truth is God's truth. And from science, we can learn that through natural revelation by looking at the world around us. And from God, we can learn from special revelation through his written word. But one of the things we have to be careful of is this. While all truth is God's truth, not all claims to truth are true. Let me say that again. Not, while all truth, all things that are true, are God's truth, not everything that people claim to be true is truth, okay? And as they say, the devil is in the details. We read in Colossians 2.8 for that reason. In Colossians 2.8, it says this. It says, See to it that no one takes you captive... No one takes you in by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Now, Paul in Colossians is writing to a church, and he's reminding them of how important Christ is, of how important the gospel is, of how important reality is. And he says, be careful. All truth is God's truth, but not all things that claim to be true are God's truth. That's what's going on there. Some things are opinion, conjecture, misunderstanding, or a downright misrepresentation. There have been all kinds of discussions and theories about homosexuality, about transgenderism, about gender issues down through the ages. I mean, this is not a new topic. We act like it is, but it's not. And so... What we want to look at here, some of these uh, opinions and theories are medical in tone, some are psychological in tone, and some are philosophical in tone. Their starting points are either human observation or in philosophy, philo meaning man, osophy meaning wisdom, sophia, man's wisdom. Man's wisdom, however, is limited to his five senses, right? And so it might be flawed. So we want to be careful with that. And here's the problem we need flawless wisdom, okay? And that's why we look to the Word of God. We'll talk more about that later. So the first consideration is, where do we start? We either start as Christ followers or non-Christ followers, as theists or as atheists. And the second consideration is this. How many genders are there? And how can we know? There are two genders, male and female. Why do we know this? Because with the passages we just read, in uh, Genesis 1, 27, and 31, we read this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 31, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Think about that. Everything God made was good. God isn't isn't a God of trial and error, a God of mistakes. He's a God of infinite perfection. And he created man in his own image, in his own likeness, with with a thinker and a feeler, capable of being creative, capable of communicating, capable of relating, and he made mankind in two genders, male and female, which really begins to call into question some of the philosophical, ideological thinking of the LGBTQ construct. We've touched on this before. We're created in the image and likeness of God. We are created the way he created us, male and female, and it's a good design. It's his design. And what we come back to here is the idea of original intent An original design, an original purpose, and the quality of that design. And what we have here are people created to take care of what God has made. They're created for companionship, friendship, the closest forms of intimacy. They're created for reproductive purposes as well. And that gets back to his design. Companionship, complementing one another, procreation. Now these days we're told there are up to 29 genders, but that just doesn't work. When you think about that, and who determines that? Is Facebook the ultimate authority? Is, who? What? And the bottom line is this contradicts the teachings of the Bible. A lot of people like to create a false uh, dichotomy between the Old Testament and the New Testament. But the problem is this is what Jesus Christ taught. It's popular in some circles to say that, you know, Jesus never taught on this topic. He never taught on traditional marriage. He never taught on gender. He never taught on any of this... He never taught on homosexuality. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And I, the easiest passage for me to come to in this brief time that we have together is Matthew nineteen four through 6. Matthew nineteen four through 6. This is the words of Jesus. If you have a red letter edition, the letters are in red, okay? This is what Jesus taught. He says, "'Have you not read that he who created them "'from the beginning made them male and female, "'and said, "'Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother,' Hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What well, therefore a God has joined together, let no man separate. Let me give you the context of these comments. Jesus is discussing the concept of marriage with the religious authorities in his day. The durability of marriage, the, the idea of divorce. As his authority, he cites the book of Genesis. Because Jesus looked to the Old Testament as authoritative. So he appeals to the Genesis construct. There's incredulity there because he is startled by their presumption. He says, Have you not read? Have you not read that he who created them created them male and female from the beginning and for this cause? Quote in Genesis 2.24, A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his woman. We translate it wife because of the personal pronoun in the Hebrew. Be joined to his wife. It speaks to a permanent commitment, a permanent monogamous commitment between one man and one woman. And they shall become one. And then he says... Let what man, what God has put together, what God has designed, let nobody tamper with. Let no one separate. The reality is here is that Jesus is God in human form, and he limits humanity to two genders. The morality of it is he puts in a warning at the end not to tamper with God's design, because anything we do outside of God's will is outside of God's favor. And let's talk a little bit about the history of the word gender, because you probably said, well, wait a minute, he's talking about sexes, or we're talking about genders, This whole uh, linguistic gymnastic that has occurred in the last 25 years is a recent innovation. Throughout the history of the English language, sex and gender are synonymous. And just for my own edification and yours, I went back to the first edition of the American Dictionary of the English Language, Noah Webster, 1848. And it says basically that gender refers to either of the two sexes that's a quote so what we need to understand is this there are two genders there are two sexes they are male and female and yes the the culture is changing but even when you look at the so-called we'll talk about in a moment the difference between an operational science and a philosophical science but the sciences have never been able to make up their mind and they keep changing when I was a younger man uh, Psychologists once considered homosexuality, transgendered issues, mental illness, which I don't believe they are, but that's what psychologists believe they were. They referred to cross-dressing as a mental illness. And how did they, how did they change that? They just took a vote in 1970 and changed it. That was it. I mean, you know, even today in the, in the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of the American Psychiatric Association, Revision 5, you have a discussion of gender dysphoria, which I understand they'll be removing in the years to come. As I have read through different studies over the year, medical science looks desperately for a link, a gay gene, to explain LGBTQ issues in an attempt to make it a biological, not psychological or sociological, that is, learned behavior. But they can't. And we'll talk about that in just a moment as well. But for the Christian, and even for the secularist, the issue of science can be confusing because science is constantly changing.
0: Pastor Keith Crosby with today's Grace to Live radio broadcast. From everyone here at Hillside Church, we just want to say how grateful we are that you've chosen to spend this time with us today studying God's Word. If you have questions about today's program, or if you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Keith, then I would encourage you to log on to our website, hillsidechurch.org where you can find more messages and content from Pastor Keith in the Sermons Archives tab, as well as links to Pastor Keith's blog and the new Out of My Mind podcast. You can also connect with us to see the many things happening here at Hillside Church, including our service times, ministry opportunities, and our calendar of upcoming events. Again, all this and more can be found by visiting the website hillsidechurch.org.